Hey there, and welcome back to season two of Everything Belongs. I am so thrilled to be back with you and on the mic, finally getting to share with you. And it feels like so much has happened since I was last recording episodes for you. And I, at the same time, am so glad I listened to the nudge of my spirit and paused and opted out for a couple months. I paused the show back in the fall, and then come December, I took time away from social media because it felt really important to to stop putting things out into the world, to be quite honest. I realized in that time that it was so needed for me to take a break. The pressure needed to come off, and I needed to rest. Instead of reading and consuming and creating and writing, I just let myself live my life. I sat in ceremony and played games and did puzzles and decorated my house. I watched Drag Race and I just let myself be. It was so nice. I really needed it, honestly. And as much as I'm like a creative person who loves to share and do things like the podcast, after a big year of change, I needed some space. And now I'm coming back to the show with more clarity and perspective and devotion to my vision. And, you know, that's what rest usually provides. So thank you for your generousness and graciousness as I've been away. I've truly missed being here. And before I dive in fully into today's episode, which is all about the shit that is killing your creativity and wet blanketing your joy and squashing your ability to lead, I want to fill you in on what exactly to expect from season two, because as you may have noticed, the first season was 102 episodes long. And for my uh, for my creativity, for my team, I've decided to put the podcast out in seasons. I think it is much more doable in terms of my team's creativity and what we're able to output. And also, I think it's just more sustainable because I really love doing this and I want to do it in a sustainable way that gives life, not just to you all, but also to myself. So I've decided going forward that each season is going to be 12 episodes long. And I'm switching actually from an interview-heavy style show to being much more selective about who I bring on. So the upcoming season only has four total interviews lined up, and they're with some pretty powerful humans, from herbalists to people who chat about polyamory and neurodivergence to what it means to live in vitality and develop secure attachments. Some really amazing experts and humans are coming on. And these episodes, of course, are sure to be supportive and most of all fun to listen to because I want this to be fun if I'm going to be doing it. So the remaining episodes will all be solo episodes, what were once called micro doses, and they'll all be educational where I'll be going to share my heart, where I'm going to share my heart and my thoughts more freely on all things sovereign leadership, well-being, joy, sacredness, God, and what it means to live your liberation. Again, nothing's really off the table because everything belongs, but you know what to expect from me. So I've got some really fun things planned, and I really do hope you stick around for it. Leave five-star reviews if you like it, and share these episodes widely with the people in your life that you believe they will really support. So without further ado, I would love to like dive in. Wow. I would love to dive in to today's show. The five horsemen of your creativity, leadership, and joy. Have you ever heard of Gottman's Four Horsemen of Relationships? 
They are the telltale signs a relationship is in the trouble zone. So Dr. John Gottman is a psychologist who claims he can predict the probability of divorcing couples based on the prevalence of these four horsemen alone. They are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And while I'm not going to go into those today, I think they are really brilliant and they've really been great predictors in terms of when my relationships have taken a turn to the place of no return. So of course, the term horseman is a metaphor borrowed from the New Testament book of Revelation, and it's an end times prophecy. It's the apocalypse. So we can gather when the horsemen are present, the end is near, which is bleak as fuck. And this concept kind of got me wondering What might the horsemen of leadership and joy and creativity be? What might be the first predictions of someone nearing burnout and creative depletion? And if we are to spot them early enough, like all habits of emotion and behavior, might we be able to do something about them before they create apocalyptic conditions inside of our spirit? So as a leadership coach, I get to study habits and patterns and strategies for success, and I am very lucky to be intimate not only with my own creative process, but privy to dozens upon dozens of high-performing professionals, healers, seekers, people who just are aiming to make a difference in the world, whether that's through their art or their work or the way that they parent. These are people who really want to do better and grow and expand and make some sort of change to leave the world better than they found it. I consider myself incredibly honored to be trusted with their innermost thoughts. Like some of the most brilliant people in the world, I get to hear what makes them tick and what keeps them spun up and what gets them stuck. These habits and patterns and beliefs and wounds that keep them from making the impact they long to. And I get to be a part of the process of kind of untangling that ball of yarn and bringing them back to a place and helping them bring themselves back to a place of liberation and full self-expression. So as a coach, some of you who listen to this are coaches, but as a coach, you know that the skill of coaching is learning to uncover these patterns in such a loving and curious and playful way that the client is thrilled to see the pattern and to break the pattern. To do this personally, I primarily do it through powerful and mind-bending questions deadpan humor and like ample grace and compassion because I know I know these patterns well myself like I have the horsemen I'm about to share with you myself and I know when they're just called out really intensely they can hurt my feelings (laughs) so over the years I've been keeping track of the most pesky beliefs the most detrimental habits that typically indicate that burnout and a dampened spirit are on the horizon as well as what to do to immediately stop doing those things and shift the energy. And I'm hoping that this is received with humor and hilarity and grace. And please do not use this episode to beat yourself up or to call anyone else out because this is about loving, compassionate self-responsibility, okay? So if you agree to that, then we will go forward. Okay, so today I'm gonna name them loud and clear for you. I offer you, then after nine years of investigating and hundreds of clients and really doing a lot of self-work and seeing all this shit inside myself, these are what I observe to be the five horsemen of potent creativity, joy, and leadership. And the first one is perfectionism. As a high performer, you must know that perfectionism is not excellence. It can masquerade as it, 
but it's not excellence. Perfectionism is not taking responsibility. Perfectionism is not having high standards. It is having godlike expectations for yourself or others, and it's a setup for disappointment every single time. So I want to share with you from, again, a loving and curious place, a few signs that perfectionism is grinding your spirit down to the bone. The first is you believe you need to be fully healed to wholeheartedly be of service. Maybe you are trying to be original all the time. God, like, I don't actually know if I believe in complete originality because originality is really like a synthesis of many ideas that bloom into something new. And when people are trying to be original, they're actually paying way too much attention to what other people are doing (laughs) to be original, you know? So you might be kind of looking a little bit too far into the edge of perfectionism if you're trying to be original all the time. Maybe you are waiting until you know enough or know everything to get started and take the first step, which when I see this in my clients, it typically means they're consuming a lot of information and they know more and more and more and more. And it's it's getting to a point where they know so much, they know how much they don't know. And then they never take that first step. And as much as that seems smart, um, at some point you have to get started. And at some point you have to write the shitty first draft, right? You have to take the first step. Perfectionism might be showing up in your life if you are often comparing yourself or criticizing yourself or judging yourself for being where you are and looking at those people 10 years ahead of you on the path and thinking, wow, they're so good at that. They're so much more successful. They're making so much more money. They're, do- they're such a more patient, kind, whatever kind of person. And they're 10 years ahead of you on the journey, right? Not that we can ever really know where someone's at in their personal journey, but I'm speaking for myself. Whenever the people I compare myself to have been doing what I do for 10, 15, 20 years longer than me. And that's how I know perfectionism has taken over. So maybe you have to be the best or else it's not worth it or are solely results focused as opposed to process focused. Now, I love being really good at what I do and I love getting results, but whenever those are the only markers of my success and my ability to feel good about what I do, it's probably a sign that I'm not going to enjoy the process of growth and expansion and self-discovery and success because success is not ever overnight. And also, even if it was overnight, then what? You'd have to keep showing up. So perfectionism might be showing up if you are refusing or forgetting to pause and celebrate those small victories during the process, small improvements and wins. I was just sharing with some of my clients on the Rising Sovereign group call that basically I had found myself in an old pattern that I don't love, you know, don't love old patterns, but I found myself in that pattern and I kind of realized I was in it after two days. And I was really celebrating that it only took me two days to realize I was in this pattern because it has taken me years before and months and weeks and getting it down to two days is a huge improvement for a lifetime of a pattern and momentum going in one direction. So it's not about, you know, perfecting ourselves because perfectionism isn't really working. It's about noticing those small victories and tiny improvements and the ways that we take care of ourselves a little bit better next time. Those deserve to be celebrated. So if you're not trusting yourself also, okay, back it up. You might be struggling with perfectionism if you 
are trying to be completely perfect, completely unproblematic, excavate all your trauma and all of your programming and get it all right and never make a mistake or cause harm. Because if you can't make a mistake and you can't learn and you can't, you know, fuck it up and make a repair, then what are you going to do whenever, well, that's inevitable, right? So trying to get it all right and trying to perfect yourself before you show up so you never make a mistake and never hurt anyone is an impossible ask. Can you trust yourself to make a mistake, to fuck it up, to hurt someone even, and make a repair? Not that you're trying to hurt anyone. I know that's not the case. But can you trust yourself when you do that you know how to make it right because you know how to do the right thing and be in integrity and you care about people? So perfectionism might be showing up if you don't let yourself have hobbies or do things just for fun or just play, right? Everything's so serious all the time. And finally, you might know you're in perfectionism if you are abandoning your true self to perform an image that you or others deem as perfect or more right than you are right now. And it's like keeping you in a a trap or a prison or a cage of an image that isn't really you. So what do you do about this? Because I see myself in all of those things. And if you see yourself in a couple or all of them, the best way I know to deflate my own perfectionism is to do an out loud, dramatic reading, a performance of all of my expectations for myself. So I will first make a list of all of my godlike, unrealistic expectations and beliefs that my ego spouts off and, you know, tell the story of what happens inside of me whenever I'm not able to attain these perfect high standards. And it sounds something like this. If I cannot have a million podcast downloads in a year, no one cares about my show. I am boring. I am not smart. I'm the worst coach in the entire world. Okay? Dramatic. I want it to be dramatic. That's the point. So the key here is letting yourself be as dramatic as the stories really are. And in doing this, it kind of Create some space between you and the story and you can see how funny and how dramatic it is whenever it is said out loud as intense as the voices really are, okay? So the second horseman is self-importance. And, you know, it goes hand in hand with perfectionism, but it has its own flavor, right? And it's a pesky one because we all do it. When it's out of balance, it looks different for different people too, So for some, it looks somber and sullen and downtrodden when they feel self-important. And woe is me, perhaps, is their model. Life is happening to me. Other people seem obviously self-important. And I'm not talking about in a confident and a secure way. I'm talking about grandiose and expectant. They believe life should please them 100% of the time. And not because they've cultivated ample inner peace, but because they actually have so little inner peace that they're trying to manage everything around them to make it peaceful and not minding their own business. And most of us get to be both. (laughs) Yay us. (laughs) So self-importance, if self-importance has taken over your unconscious thoughts and actions, it's likely that you are taking it all too seriously and taking yourself too seriously. You may be throwing constant value judgments, which really is just filtering the world through if it pleases me, it's good. And if it doesn't, it's bad right? I don't know if, I don't know about you, but I get this way when I'm driving or I'm at the cash register and the person is taking a really long time and I have somewhere to be. And I'm like, I could do this job better than you. 
I know that sounds really terrible, but it's true. That's the thought I have because for some reason I think where I have to go is more important than being kind to this person and the good job that they're doing, right? There's a chance that you could be letting your mood as opposed to a higher aim and your higher values determine your actions. And that really looks like you have the things that you said you would do. You have the things that you really believe in, but because something pissed you off, you don't feel like it anymore. Like you don't feel like being kind to the person at the cash register anymore because now you're pissed at them because they're going too slow. And, you know, I'm again, speaking for myself here, this happens in all areas of life, but whenever I get distracted by my ever-changing moods, as opposed to connecting to my higher aim and value, I continually put out fires instead of being agile and resilient to life and being of integrity. And it's interesting how putting our values and aims and deeper wants first actually makes us less self-important, right? So if self-importance is ruling your world right now, it's likely you have an all-or-nothing attitude because that is the voice of the ego. It sounds like I'm either the best or the worst, right? Uh, They either love everything I create or they are rejecting me. Life is either good or bad. And all are predicated on the the external world delivering very specific results. And it usually results to our exact liking. And the world has to be exactly as we want it to be for us to be happy and joyful and free. And that is just a prison of the spirit. So the yummy paradox of worth. You might be falling into the ego self-important traps whenever you're hearing the voices like, I'm so unworthy of being seen and celebrated and accepted as I am. Everyone belongs, sure, but not me because I'm the exception. I'm the special worst. And isn't this sneaky? right? Like I know this well. It's the sneaky special me, I'm the worst is just as detrimental as special me, I'm the best because both separate us from reality. And the reality is we're just like everybody else. We're on the same playing field as everybody else. We belong with everybody else. But the paradox of worthiness and this pendulum of worthiness swinging back and forth, it just wind whips us around the worst of the best. Either way, we don't belong with everyone. And the truth is, we belong with everyone. So similarly, the belief that we're above and below, self-promotion, I see this all the time. People either feel like too good to self-promote or, you know, who cares about my work to self-promote? And just note again, the above and below, the black and white, that is an ego dynamic going on. So you might know that self-importance has taken a toll and is ruling your life if you're trying to play God. And by that, I mean you believe that it's all up to you. You have to do it all and be it all to, and to make it happen in the right way. You have to be in control. And goodness, if this doesn't exhaust the shit out of me, <laughs> because I am not surrendering, I'm not asking for help, I'm not trusting the universe. Somewhere along the way, I believed that I could do it all myself. And finally. Perhaps you're overcomplicating it because we have, a lot of us have, an association that hard stuff equals valuable stuff. The harder it is, the better. I will never forget when I got my braces on. I was 13. I was freshman in high school. It was actually the first week of freshman year. So I started the year without braces and then I came back with braces and 
I was a scrawny, I was also younger than everyone else. I was a year younger than everyone in my grade. And I'm small and scrawny. I'm not even a hundred pounds with these, I had a big gap teeth and I came back with braces. And I remember telling the, the orthodontist, if it doesn't hurt, I don't believe it's working. So I want you to make sure I leave in pain every single time. <laughs> Very masochistic, 13-year-old. <laughs> but there, there was a belief in there that if it's hard, I know it's working, right? No pain, no gain. So my personal favorite antidote to my ego's endless self-importance is surrendering to my higher power. Be it in prayer or a simple ritual or a moment in meditation, taking time to remember the vastness of life and get out of my own spiraling thoughts and ask for help from the universe, to admit that I can't do it all on my own, it helps me every single time. So now it's a daily practice. And I encourage my clients to have some sort of daily practice with a higher power. And Lamott's prayer, help, thanks, wow, is a wonderful place to begin. It's a request for help. It's an honoring of gratitude. And it's moving into awe and wonder and worship. And all three restore our right-sizedness in the universe. They offer us so much more relief from the tyranny of beliefs and patterns that just dizzy us up. Right? Like, there's nothing I've mentioned so far that I don't think everyone struggles with because we all have an ego. We're all human. We all get caught up in old stuff, trauma, hurts, just human selfishness, right? And so, just remembering to surrender to something bigger than ourselves, even if it's just life itself. So, moving on to the fourth horseman of joy and creativity and leadership. Did I say the fourth? I meant the third. I meant the third. The third is magical thinking. Damn it. As a spiritual being with a tendency towards magical thinking myself, I hate to admit how often this gets in my way. And I see it get in the way of my clients because my clients are often very open, like spiritual people. A lot of my clients are even psychic. They might not use that word, but I know that they are. So I have a short story for you. It's not about being a psychic. It's 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 not an embarrassing story, but I'll just tell you and you can decide what you think about it. So a few years ago, I spent months, years looking for a sign to divorce my husband. For those of you who don't know, I was married at 20 years old, very very Christian, and I married my first like real boyfriend. And we, you know, we were not having sex until our wedding night sort of a thing. So that gives you some context for the kind of relationship we had. I was constantly praying and doing little rituals and drawing cards and asking mentors if I should divorce my husband. I was then hospitalized with hives multiple times as I was searching for this answer. And I was seeking and wondering and being like, God or universe, give me a clear answer. I was asking like my coaches, what should I do about this? And because usually coaches just mirror back what you're, you know, back to yourself. Well, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not getting any signs. A sign never became obvious enough to me. So I stayed and I stayed and I stayed and I stayed begrudgingly in this marriage. Eventually, I found my sign, but it came in a way I wish it hadn't. Eventually, I fell in love with my yoga teacher, a woman. I didn't know I was queer until I met this person. A woman who was my friend while I was married. Okay, so do we see the problem I was honest with my husband to the best of my ability at the time, but it was too late. I had already violated my own inner knowing that my marriage was over for years. 
I'd already given my power away to little signs from the universe and advice from mentors, and I was already in love with someone else. That wasn't my husband, okay? So instead of listening to the signs inside my own body, I outsourced my knowing to magic and I let my shadow guide my choices because the reality is I wanted a divorce and I was queer. And because I was in denial of both of those things and looking for an external magical sign of like, now God showed up, you know, in a burning bush and told me you shall divorce your husband and I won't be mad at you. I was looking for something like that. I made everything so much harder than was necessary because the sign was that I didn't want to be married anymore. And I didn't want to be married for a very long time. So. How else might magical thinking be throwing you off your game? Do you have delusions of arriving? Be it aiming to arrive at some mystical place in the future where all suffering ceases, or arriving in success, or arriving at some place where your ego is eradicated and you've overcome all of these pesky horsemen and relational issues no longer exist. I think that that's kind of the delusion of a lot of people in the self-help world. And this keeps us forever seeking and searching, constantly fixing ourselves, being completely disconnected from reality and the goodness that's available right here and right now. There, I believe, is a reason some people wait for heaven for liberation, and then some people get to experience liberation right now. So perhaps if magical thinking is showing up in your life, you're trying to manifest a perfect, easy life where nothing bad ever happens. And if it does, it means that you are personally responsible or doing something wrong or are wrong. This is a superstition. You can believe that life is happening for you without constantly beating yourself up for life, simply doing what life does, which is lifing, right? That's not personal. But we take it personal because we have some just tendrils of magical thinking. And again, all of us have this, so it's not a problem. It just becomes a problem when it is a problem when we believe it too much, right? So you might be caught up in this magical thinking a little bit too much if you are waiting for the perfect timing for everything. For me, it was the perfect sign and timing for my divorce. I don't know what it is like for you, but it could be waiting for the perfect time to start, perfect time to invest, to learn, to begin despite feeling the knowing that you should and trusting the simple fact that you just want to, (laughs) like you just want to right now. So you might ask, because I do believe there is right, I do believe in right timing. I don't believe in perfect timing. So ask, how will you know when the timing is perfect? And if it were already perfect, how would you know right now? Another sign of magical thinking I tend to notice is aiming for mountaintop experiences be it in love or in business or in family or in spirituality, so many people are waiting for a peak experience or are waiting to re-experience a peak emotional state to prove to them that they're on the right path. And this is like the internal version of the external signs I was looking for in my divorce. These are novel internal chemical experiences not to be mistaken with intuition or ease. These moments, like these mountaintop moments, peak experiences, they do happen. Just like signs from the universe and answers to prayers also happen. But those happenings are pure grace. They're not to be sought as proof of enlightenment or as proof of making it or as real love. Peak experiences come and go, right? They're moments of grace that 
bless us and then leave. And it's devotion and ritual in the mundane. That's where the magic is. That's where success is. That's where love comes from. I mean, I I have so much to say about this in the in terms of love, but if you want to get a head start, read everything by Bell Hooks. Read Bell Hooks all about love. Okay. So you might finally know that you're in some magical thinking if you're disregarding the truth and what's obvious and getting caught up in fantastical thinking. And I'm not against dreaming and visioning and hoping for the best, but I do know that this can show up in areas of life where we're surrendering a little bit too much faith to positive thinking and not trusting what we see with our own eyes and feeling with our own bodies. So this can look like, for example, not promoting your work, trusting the universe is just going to place clients in your lap. Or maybe you're confusing the love you have for another person as a sign that they have emotional availability. Or perhaps there's something that you desire, but you don't have the capacity, be it energetic or financial, to see it through. And in that case, the right next action would be to trust the lack of capacity, to build capacity rather than plowing forward and increasing the likelihood of burnout and stress. Because the truth of magical thinking is this. action and surrender. Because I believe in manifestation. I believe in magic. But it requires we listen to the truths that we already know and show up for the dreams in our hearts in consistent, not constant, consistent, doable bits. So the fourth horseman, the fourth horseman, overconsumption with no integration. And this one, it gets me so good. I'm a lover of learning. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, probably so are you. Most of my clients are. A fast processor myself, I have been known to listen to four and five podcasts a day and not feel mentally drained. Like I take some course in education for my career and for my knowledge every year. And I love it. Like I beat off of it, it lights me up, and I'm never going to stop doing that. At least, not that I'm aware of. And I think that this can be really beneficial, but there's a point where it, maybe a a yellow flag that's turning into an orange and red flag is popping up. And let's talk about what that might look like. So if overconsumption without integration is turning into an orange flag in your life, which is a sign to slow your roll, you might be overconsuming the content of those in your industry which isn't necessarily that inspiring. So if you are over-consuming content and information in your industry, you might start to compare or feel uninspired, internally clogged, and eventually unable to hear your own voice. And like I said, I love to study and learn and devote myself to my education. And it's nice to do that sometimes in a completely different field altogether. Putting that learning and putting that input in from somewhere that can generate creativity. So just listen to your, when your body's had enough. For me, it looks like comparison or feeling like a little uninspired, like I don't know what to say or my thoughts kind of sound like other people's words, right? And that happens to us because we are humans and we are mimicking mammals. We like mimic each other to learn and grow. And that's like very normal and healthy. But when you're trying to be a leader, and you're trying to be creative, it can just get a little clogged and foggy, you know? 
So you might notice you need some integration when you're all work and no play. And this is an easy mistake, but trying harder, especially when you're tired, actually has an inverse effect on retention and creativity. So pausing, napping, taking a break, going and just living and playing will actually produce the aha moments you're looking for. It's not digging in your heels. So in fact, when you're feeling up against a wall or stuck or unable to bring your ideas into one cohesive body of work, it's probably not trying harder and learning more and doing more that you need. It might be a hobby or a night out with friends or a vacation or a trip to the park. And finally, the final two ways to know that you're needing some integration from all the content that you're inputting is if you know vastly more than you can apply. So I have the most nerdy, brilliant brainiacs in my coaching practice. They have taken every course. They know all about the nervous system. They have a PhD or two. They've read all of the books on spirituality. They've listened to all the podcasts on business, right? They can spout off all the facts. And they can support others so well. Like, they're so good at that. But their own ability to implement and apply those tools in their own life can look a little bleak. And when I say they, I am including myself because usually I'm attracting clients who are doing the same shit I am used to doing myself. So whenever you're noticing that you're able to give others what you're not giving yourself, That's a really good sign to slow down and integrate some of the things that you know and practice it. And then finally, if you are using your mentors and coaches and teachers as something or someone that you solely learn and receive from, right? That relationship is one way. Instead of it being a reciprocal relationship with a living, breathing human, there could be some consumption without integration going on simply because when we pedestal people that we learn from or we jump from coach to coach or teacher to teacher to teacher or different methods without any integration, one, it's like throwing a bunch of seeds on the ground and just hoping for the best. And again, I love to learn. I've had many mentors in my life, but I've noticed the biggest growth has come for me whenever I allow myself to deepen into relationship with my mentors Sometimes when there's not even like an education offered, it's simply the relational container itself does the work of the integration. The relationship actually is usually the most healing part of the relationships we have with our teachers or therapists or coaches. So it looks like letting yourself live also and take action on small doable habits just before rushing along to the next course or program or teacher. So I've done a whole podcast on how to know what kind of support you need. Um, And you can type that in to my website and you'll find it. Um, But a great way to know, you know, do I need to learn more right now or do I need to integrate what I've learned? And that will really give you some discernment on do I need to sign up for a course with content or do I need someone who can hold space for my process? Because there's a difference. So for me, really integrating comes down to moving slower. I tend to move fast. I love moving fast, but I miss a lot of stuff and I skim the surface and I cut corners and it's not, it's not as good as I want it to be. So what I've been doing lately, I have a planner, the many moons planner from Sarah Gottestinger. And in, at the end of every day, I've been just writing a really brief, like two sentence recap of the day. And then on Fridays I do my review, my weekly review. And in doing so, 
it usually reveals to me where I'm foggy, where I'm uncreative or lacking in joy or moving too fast. And typically it's because I'm consuming more than I'm integrating and living. That is like the, the crux for me. So let's move on to the, fi- the fifth and final horseman, okay? It's meaning-making. Damn, meaning-making, storytelling, mind-reading, projecting. They're so fun until they aren't, right? I love elaborate stories. Like the kind of stories I tell when someone doesn't reply to my very vulnerable text for a few days or when someone is having an off day and I make it mean they're mad at me or when my partner is just existing but I think they aren't okay because I haven't checked in with my own heart and I'm in fact not okay. Do you relate? (laughs) So unchecked, this brain of ours is, well, it's brilliant and it's an expert problem solver also expert problem creator, and it's a meaning-making machine. And when we aren't in right relationship to it, it's perhaps the most annoying and most damaging of all of the horsemen. So you will know when you are meaning-making, when you're projecting, which simply means rather than seeing yourself or rather than seeing myself clearly, seeing things as they are, instead, I'm ignorant to my own internal state and project it outward onto others. The tricky thing is like we rarely know we're doing it. So that kind of sucks. And it takes a lot of work to see ourselves. It takes usually a mentor and someone to support us in this process. But to me, the ability to see your own and other people's projections is the key to joy and sovereign leadership. It is like it's like the chef's kiss, the magic of sovereign leadership. So a couple examples if you want to spot projection. Mind you, I did do a podcast episode on this. I'll link it in the show notes with Holly Kreps, one of my mentors. It looks like, okay, so say you are suspicious of your partner cheating, but you're actually attracted to someone outside your relationship. You know, and this is for maybe a monogamous relationship. Or maybe you are asking, are you okay? When you're in fact the one who's not okay. Or you're thinking that someone doesn't like you or they're rejecting you but it's actually you who doesn't like them and you haven't let yourself admit that, right? So projection, it's so pesky. It's so pesky and we're all doing it, but we got to slow it down and stop making so much meaning. The second key to really knowing if you're meaning making is that you're forgetting to question your own assumptions, which often looks like projection. It can lead to meaning being made of things through a cognitive bias and then your distortions just start running the show because we all have because our brains need to keep things as simple as possible so that we can live our lives as humans our brain really kind of folds all of the input that we are getting down to teensy teensy bits and then it filters it all through our previous experiences and distorts them so that we can see and experience life in an easier way and that's brilliant because we need it to survive But usually the filters we're filtering through, we aren't consciously choosing. All this is happening so fast, which means when we let assumptions run the show and we let our most repetitive, often most childlike and most ego-driven and often most traumatized states filter our reality and tell us what's happening. Can you see how that might be a problem, right? It's, It's a problem in most relationships and most of the relationships I've been in. So we got to slow it down and we've got to question some of our assumptions. How do I know that this is true? Another sign that you're meaning making is that you're just judging other people. Like you're just 
in comparison, you're side-eyeing other people, you're making meaning of them. And all of these stories that we're telling about other people are just really not our business. Like what they think about you, their relationship to you, their motives, why they're doing what they're doing, why they're showing up online like that, right? All of this is leaky boundaries, my friend. So we got to tighten up that ship and mind our own business. And I promise, God, I promise you will have so much more joy and creativity and potent leadership as a result. My favorite way to work with my own meaning making besides for working with a mentor because I think truly being witnessed by another person and getting that like feedback loop by someone who's working on their own projections is the best way. But the second best way is to run your stories through a list of questions. I like the ones by Byron Katie. She says, is this thought true? And I absolutely know it's true. I also like to ask, is this even my business? And what do I need right now? Because that brings my focus back on what is my business. So I promise you, if you work with your five horsemen, as you observe them in your life, your creativity and your joy and your leadership will just blossom. Like it will come alive. And if left unchecked, which I personally do not recommend, but is totally your choice to make, you might find yourself a little strung out and sour and sad for reasons that are not even grounded in reality. Because as displeasing as reality can be, the stories we tell and the distortions we live from just makes, they make shit so much harder. Whew. Okay. Wasn't that fun? I had a good time. I, I love learning and remembering where I'm making shit so much harder than it has to be so that I can just tell the truth sooner and get free faster. So remember, I said this at the beginning of the show, this podcast is not a weapon to hurt yourself with or to hurt anyone else with. So please put down any shame or self-blame or guilt that this might have sifted up inside of you while we've talked about these pesky habits. That's like precisely what the horsemen are. They're pesky habits, they're stories that are rooted in shame and blame and guilt and all or nothing thinking that we can unlearn and keep in check. So in the place of any self-judgment, I recommend saying, well, there I go again. And I find that really helps, kind of like the dramatic reading. So free up some space around those habits and offer yourself a chance to choose again. And it it does take practice, but it is certainly possible and it's 100% worth doing, I promise you. It's what I do every day for myself. It's what I do for my clients and with my clients. So now I would love to know, I would love to know what horsemen you found yourself wrestling with the most, how it's impacting you, right? So please come tell me in my DMs or leave a review. And I'm going to read them all one more time so you can know exactly what they are. The first is perfectionism. The second is self-importance. The third, overconsumption, no integration, magical thinking, and finally meaning making. So come in my DMs on Instagram and let me know, or leave a review here and let me know here, what one resonates with you the most. I love hearing from you. I love hearing what works for you in regards to these things. If you have anything that you really love doing to support yourself, let me know. I love increasing my toolbox. And if you want to take this exploration further, I want to extend an invite to you to join the Rising Sovereign Leadership Circle. It's an eight-month mentorship experience with me that will not only address each of these pesky horsemen and more, 
It will also equip you with the tools and mindset habits and community that will support you to take up all of your space, like unabashedly, to trust what you know humbly and confidently and express your true self, the one who is joyous and liberated and free with ease, even in the midst of life. So you can just check the show notes for the direct link to book a conversation with me about it. We start March 1st of 2023. So go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash rising dash sovereign to apply or click the link in the show notes because that will probably even be faster than typing it in. So have a wonderful week, my friends. And as my grandmother Rose would say, talk at you soon.